when you are investing, you're doing your due diligence and you're vetting the seller and you're verifying the numbers and you're vetting your property manager and you... Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? My name is Sarah Larby. I'm excited to have you guys back this week. And really exciting right now. Personally, for me, I am up at the cottage in Lakefield, Ontario. So it's about 15, 20 minutes north of Peterborough. And I just got a sixplex under contract and I am about to start the due diligence on it. And this sixplex is in Peterborough and uh, we bought it pretty quickly. It did have multiple offers, lost it the first time. The offer fell through and so we are back in and we have the inspection coming up on Friday. So I, probably when you guys are hearing this, I will be at the inspection and just making sure everything is good or potentially there might be some issues we will uh, we will find out so i will give you guys more information as i remove the conditions on it but really excited the cash flow on it seems amazing the sellers are really awesome they're, they're giving us tons of information so super excited this is going to be a great addition to the portfolio so this will be since we sold one property number 10 and we'll definitely make sure to celebrate for that. But in other news, I've got a Burr course coming up. So if you guys are interested in doing the buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat method, reach out to me. My course information is on my website, which is sarahlarby.com. And you guys can take a look. I definitely want to keep it small. Ideally, no more than 15 people because there will be a mix of classroom and also field work where we're actually going to be going out and viewing some properties in the different steps of that transition. Some properties that might be mine, some properties that might be other investors that are willing to share with their numbers, etc. So it's going to be really, really interesting. And the goal is obviously to help you guys find your very own property to Burr as well. So if you're interested, again, go to the website and look at the Burr tab or reach out to me by email, sarah at sarahlarby.com. So today's guest is somebody very, very interesting, Marco. Marco Santarelli is also the host of a podcast called Passive Real Estate Investing. And he's the founder of Narada Real Estate, a premier real estate investment firm, and he is located in the US. His mission is to help people create financial freedom by taking the guesswork out of investing. His team is dedicated to researching top real estate growth markets and structuring complete turnkey real estate investments to minimize risk and maximize profitability. So great, interesting strategy that you guys can learn tons from. He began investing in real estate at the age of 18 with a single townhouse that he bought. He renovated that, leased it and managed it himself. So sounds like a, a burr. And don't forget the uh, refinancing and repeating step. But so he continued building his real estate portfolio over the years. And actually currently he's up to 84 units with some additional single family homes homes and duplexes and small apartments, just a mix of different things. He is also the experts in 
the ins and outs of real estate investing has been helping investors create wealth and passive income for the last 15 years with Narada Real Estate. And he's also been named the 2017 Think Realty Master Investor of the Year. So lots of great information. We had a great conversation. And you know, even though I'm from Canada, it's always interesting to learn what people are doing in other countries. How is the US market? What are some of the differences between investing in the US and Canada for us, but also potentially for them? And we're gonna learn about the turnkey scenario and strategy. And I think I think, you know, ultimately guys, pick a strategy to start. Please don't get the analysis paralysis piece where you're just figuring out over and over what you want and not taking any action. Pick one, go from there, take action on it, buy something, and really like that's that's how I learned the most is just by taking action and closing on something and then learning from there because I could read and listen to tons of podcasts or audiobooks and go to tons of courses, but ultimately the doing it part for me was the best way that I learned. And feel free to work with a mentor at the end of the day if it's going to help you avoid some of those costly mistakes. That's definitely something I would recommend. The right mentor, of course, somebody that's done it or somebody that is where you want to be and somebody that is also doing the strategy that you want to do. So if you want to do multifamily, there's great mentors for that. If you want to do commercial, again, great mentors for that. If you want to do, you know, single family, great mentors for that. So pick a strategy. And if you are not going to take action, maybe get a mentor, somebody to help you or potentially joint venture with somebody that's going to help you get you to that next level. Again, there's pros and cons to joint venturing and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for everybody because if you are active and you're going to be an action taker and you've got the finances and you've got the money, well, do it yourself. But if it's not going to help you get something because for whatever reason you just have analysis paralysis or maybe you're missing a piece of the puzzle, then at that point in time, maybe a JV is the way to go. So just keep in mind, it's not about timing the market. There's always great times and bad times, but ultimately it's about how much time you have in the market. Real estate is very forgivable over time. And this is how I became a millionaire from starting really with, with nothing. My first job, I made 35 grand a year working full time, which isn't much when you factor in that I had to, it was all commission and I had to pay all of my expenses on top of that. So we've definitely come a long way and it is, it would have never been possible without real estate investing. And I would have never been able to save what I, what I made through real estate investing. It would have taken me a whole lifetime to do that. So Hopefully that's a little bit of inspiration for you and thank you. If you've reached out to me, send me an email. I just love getting them. My Instagram as well. If you guys wanted to reach out to me on Instagram, it's at investor Sarah Larby and let me know about what you're doing and your successes or your struggles would love to connect. So with that, let's get on with our interview. Welcome to the show, Marco. How are you? I'm doing great, Sarah. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm super excited now. You're from the U.S. Now, where about in the U.S. are you? Well, you didn't mention I'm originally from Canada. You are. You are. That's it. (laughs) But living in the U.S. right now, right? So I'm originally from Calgary, grew up and went to school and all that kind of stuff. But I ultimately moved to Southern California, specifically in Orange County. I call California the Socialist Republic of California just because of our 
tax and our governmental environment here, but you know what? It's a nice place to live. It's not a great place to invest. Absolutely. Now, okay, so let's take a step back. So you are a, a true Canadian from Calgary and you decided to make the leap into the U.S. So let's, let's figure out, let's talk to the audience, walk us through how you got started in real estate investing and how you went from Calgary into L.A. or Orange County. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So the, the short version of that story is this. When, at a young age, when I was a teenager, I knew that real estate was the true wealth creator. That's where you created passive income and you created wealth or stored wealth. I saw it around me because people own duplexes and fourplexes in Calgary along Main Street or Center Street and other places like that. So I was smart enough or at least observant enough to know real estate was the ticket. So when I turned 18, I could qualify for financing. And that was really when I put the stake in the ground. I bought my first town home unit, fixed it up, leased it. Uh, there was no internet back then, so it was basically a sign in the lawn, took paper applications, and I, I, I managed it myself, and I kept it for a number of years. Then I made a big, big mistake, which I hope your listeners never do. And it sounds so simplistic and like common sense, but it's surprising to us with all the clients that we work with that they just make this mistake. You really never, ever, ever sell your real estate. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't sell and move the equity tax deferred into other, other real estate and other locations and build your portfolio, but you don't just sell to take the equity out and then pay capital gains tax on it and then just go on vacation, buy yourself a nice car and do that kind of stuff. That's just silly and I was dumb back then. It's, it's hindsight now. But that was my start, is, is that first townhome in Calgary and then I went on to get my real estate license and then I bought a condo and you know the writing was on the wall. So now you fast forward back in 1998, my wife and I moved to California. We had a business opportunity here, but when the stock market crashed, it dried up our business. We were venture capital funded. And so the, the funding disappeared. We had to wind the company down, let people go, 105 people to be exact, kind of sad, but that's what happened. So I took, took a step back and I had the passive income from real estate to make that decision to go back into real estate. So I ultimately decided to go back into real estate, invest heavily, and then people were coming to me asking for help. And I didn't want to be a coach or a mentor. I just said, look, I have a lot of deal flow. I'm happy to give you the deals. And that's how the business was born. So that's how I went from Calgary to California and went from real estate back into real estate. Awesome. Very interesting. So tell us what you're doing right now. What have you been up to? So for the last 15 years, <laughs> which sounds like a long time, 15 years ago, I started a company that we have today, which is Norada Real Estate Investments. And we provide a, a ton of free information and education and content for real estate investors, mostly in the U.S., but it really applies to most other industrialized countries. Let's just put it that way. The financing is a little different, but the, but the principles are the same. And so we really are focused on, myself personally, I'm focused on continuing to build my real estate portfolio in different markets around the United States. I'm focused on the U.S., you know, not Canada anymore. But as a business, I mean, we're just doing exactly for other people what we do for us. And that is to create passive income and create wealth using real estate as the vehicle in the markets that make sense. And we're in 22 different markets in the U.S. because of the fundamentals and the numbers. But that's really the main focus, Sarah, is really just to continuing doing what we are passionate about and then helping other people to have the same success as we did because we've already done it and we have a system that they can just follow. It's just copy, rinse, and repeat. Awesome. Now you mentioned fundamentals. I'm a big believer in ensuring that a market has certain fundamentals. What are some of those that you look for? And you mentioned 22 markets. What do you look for? So here's the heart of it. And this will make sense to probably everybody. But the thing is, is this is easy to do your due diligence on because the information is 
free. It's available on the internet if you just type in the right search terms in your search engine. So if you look at what's driving a market at the heart of it all, it's really all about jobs and job growth. And now there's certain caveats here, but if you have jobs in a market and job growth, what you do is you tend to keep the people that live there, they stay there, they don't move, but you also draw people in from other markets. I've seen this happen in Canada so many times where, you know, the jobs go out east and people move to Ontario and then, you know, all of a sudden the oil patch is booming and you see a lot of people moving to Alberta and moving up to Fort McMurray and Edmonton and Calgary because there's all the jobs there. So you see this pendulum swing back and forth. This happens all over the place in, in, in all the markets in the U.S., all the markets in Canada. It's just different phases and different intensities. But the reality is it's jobs and job growth. And you can find this information online for Canadian markets and U.S. markets. In addition to that, and this kind of dovetails on the whole job growth, is the population growth. You want to pick a market where you see positive net migration. So when you deduct, when you add births, subtract your deaths, you factor in emigration. In other words, what's left over, if it's positive, guess what? Pushes up the, the demand in the housing market. So now you're having an increased pool of buyers to buy housing, which supports or uh, escalates the uh, property values or the purchase price. And you also have a larger growing pool of tenants. So your tenant pool increases and they need rental. So guess what? People like you and I and, and all your listeners step in with safe, clean, affordable housing to fill the need of these, these people who need rental housing. So net migration is the second thing I look for. The third thing I look for, first of all, those are the big two. Mm -hmm. The third thing I would look for is, is there a good balance between supply and demand? You don't want to be in a market that is an extreme buyer's market, nor an extreme seller's market. You want there to be, depending on the market, four to six months worth of inventory. And if you need, you know, explanations and definitions, mm -hmm. I can go into that. But you, you want a relatively balanced market. You want supply so you have stock to choose from. And then last but not least, and this is a big one, the numbers need to make sense. So I've trademarked the saying, live where you want, invest where it makes sense. Whether I'm in Southern California, things are very expensive here. And it's much like Toronto, uh, you know, like the, the, you know, the, the greater GTA. Property values are so expensive, but they don't rent for enough to really give you a good rate of return, whether it's you're measuring it by a cap rate or a cash on cash return. You might do well if you time it well on the appreciation side, but remember, those are unrealized gains. Those are not realized gains yet, so it could go down just as fast as it goes up, if not faster. So until you actually pull that equity out and turn it into streams of income, streams of cash flow, you're really not that further ahead. It's just paper wealth. So those are the four main things I look for. So let's talk about supply and demand a little bit more. Cause I mean, I think population, we could probably Google that. I think we can Google the job growth data. How can somebody say, okay, I'm looking in this market and how do I even find out the supply and demand? How do you do that? So a lot of these things we're talking about could, could be episodes in and of themselves. So if I'm, you know, answering them a little too long, long-winded, let me know. I can expand and contract answers to your questions. Okay, so to look up data, it really comes down to the type of data you're looking for. I'm more familiar with websites on the, in the U.S. than I am in Canada because I don't really research markets in, in, in Canada, but the principles are the same, and if you type in the same search phrases, you'll find the same stuff. When it comes to supply and demand and really the days on market, you can get this from any good, competent real estate agent. 
if you have a relationship or you know someone or you're licensed yourself, you can see the days of the supply, you know, how many months worth of supply there is in a particular market. If it's pretty balanced, like three to six, four to six months worth, then you'll probably find deals and there'll be enough inventory there. But that's kind of the short answer to your question. You can also go to Google or any other search engine and start typing in search phrases such as name of the city, followed by days on market or inventory or housing inventory, housing market stats. That usually pulls up a lot of good information. Just anything centered around uh, real estate, the phrase real estate or housing market, followed by kind of more of the long tail type of search term like statistics or stats or graphs, charts. That stuff ends up pulling up a, a ton of stuff for you. Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buy my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she's works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now, and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders, and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com. And then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they actually come out every single month for us as well. Like oftentimes the realtors will even post them on Instagram or you can ask your realtor for that data. They have access to it monthly. And so they're, it's, actually, it's actually pretty easy to find for sure, but it's definitely something to, to consider as part of the fundamentals. So the can, I share, can I share something with your audience that kind of ties into everything and maybe we would we'd be touching on, upon it at some point, but just, I don't want to forget it. So here's a quick litmus test that I use all the time and I talk about it 
all the time. We talk about it to clients and on our podcast and everything else. It's called the RV ratio. Have you heard of this? No, what is it? No. So the RV ratio is short for rent to value ratio. It could also be turned around and called the rent to price ratio. Now, for those people yes, hearing yes. this for the first, you familiar with this? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? There, that is a great opportunity for everybody to be familiar with it as well. But you know, like, are you are you thinking about like the one percent rule as an example? Yeah, sometimes people refer to it as the uh, the one percent rule. It's really not so much about hitting that one percent dead on. It's really about a range around that because that number changes by market and by neighborhood yes. and by the property type. Because I'll tell you here, we don't really get the one percent unless you're like four hours out of the of the main city. <laughs> oh, I I know that. I talk to my cousins in Toronto all the time about this. You know, we kind of butt heads about it. But it's an important litmus test. It's a good metric because you could not only use it on the property itself, but you could actually apply it to the market in general or a sub-market. Because what you want to see, and I know it doesn't work in Toronto. It doesn't work anywhere where I live here in California. Like pretty much most of California is like far off the charts when it comes to this. But I've seen this happen in Vancouver, Toronto, even Calgary. I mean, many, many cities there. The thing is, is ideally what you like to see, and this is just a quick test. You don't make your, base your decisions on this. You want to see that the median price in a market is going to be somewhere close to 1% of the median. Uh, the median rent is close to 1% of the median price. So if you have a, I, I use a hundred thousand because the math is easy. hundred thousand dollar home, by the way, we have a lot of three bedroom, two bath homes that are a hundred, 120,000. But if, if you have a hundred thousand dollar home and it rents for a thousand a month, that's 1%. That's that where that 1% rule came from. Odds are pretty high that if you're in a good market and a good neighborhood and you're hitting that 1% rule at the market level, and you can find it at the property level, you probably have a really good deal going. You just have to obviously do all your due diligence. But when I look at a market, that's the very first thing I look at, whether it's Toronto, Vancouver, or any other place. What is the median price and what's the median rent? And if it's like the market that you're in, the market I'm in, it's gonna be 0.5, maybe 0.4. I mean, it gets pretty bad. I've seen 0.3 in San Francisco. But if it's up above or below 1%, it's worthy of looking further into that market to see if you can find the areas and the neighborhoods and the deals themselves that make sense that are going to hit that 1% plus or minus. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we actually call it the cash flow zone. So 0.7 to, to 1, I, I would like consider doing myself um, because the 1% is just, it's really, it's really hard. So again, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's definitely a lot harder than probably, you know, where you're investing. If you're finding houses for a hundred grand renting for a thousand, that's pretty good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you're familiar with it. So you also do something that's, that's quite interesting and we don't see a whole lot of that here and you do what's called turnkey investments, right? Yes. So can you talk to us more about that? So there's no formal definition in the industry of what a turnkey real estate investment is. People have a general concept concept or conceptualization of, of what something turnkey is. It's like almost like done for you, kind of something like that. That's improper English and poor grammar, but I apologize. <laughs> so for us, I started marketing the term turnkey real estate investing and turnkey real estate investments very heavily back in 2004 when I launched the business because I wanted it, I wanted to market that brand and that angle. We had to come up with our own definition because a lot of people loosely think in the industry that something that's turnkey is nothing more than something that's rent ready. And I can look on the MLS and find something that's leased and rent ready. I mean, it's in good enough condition. Maybe there's deferred maintenance, but that's not turnkey in our definition. So 
if I give you my definition, you'll have a really good idea of what I mean by it, what we mean by it. So a turnkey real estate investment is some is a is a cash flowing investment property that's in a good market, in a good neighborhood, uh, has a properly screened qualified tenant. It's under professional full service property management, um, and obviously it's cash flow positive with attractive rates of return. Something that we would call in that 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 normal band. Uh, or what you would call the cash flow zone, that that type of stuff. It's not a speculative investment. You're not chasing appreciation. You'll get it over time, but that's a turnkey investment. Meaning, oh, and there's no deferred maintenance. So if, if the property itself is new, like new construction, or it's like new, meaning it's been refurbished and there's no deferred maintenance, that is turnkey. It's it's much different than rent ready. Now you wrap the right team around that, such as your lenders your title or escrow companies or attorneys, depending on the state or province you're in, um, your home inspectors, I don't know if I said lenders or property managers, but lenders and property managers, like if you wrap the team around it and you have the whole package, that is now turnkey real estate investing as kind of a, a model and an experience. So that is what we do day in and day out with literally hundreds of investors. So how do you structure answer. that? How do we what structure it? Yeah, so is it like a joint venture? Do you just sell it and then you you cash out, or you keep a uh, you know equity in the deal, or how does that work with your company? And you, we share in no benefits of that property. As any of the clients we work with, they have a hundred percent ownership of that property, and they receive a hundred percent of the benefits. We do not partner. We do not create funds. We do not charge them a fee or a dime before, during, or after. I mean, we we provide a massive value added service. And you are the sole beneficiary of that real estate and the benefits of that real estate. We as a nationwide brokerage get compensated only by essentially what you would call a commission or a marketing fee that comes from the seller on the property side after the sales complete. And the beautiful thing about that is that we can be in many markets. In fact, we're in 22 different markets right now. So it gives us access to a lot of inventory because of the teams, the boots on the ground that we have in those markets. So the benefit of that to our client is that we're market agnostic. We're not married to any market, nor are we married to any property management company or any lender or any service provider whatsoever. We're 100% completely unbiased, which means that the advice and recommendations that we provide are completely driven by you. What are your goals and what are your, what's your investment criteria? What are you trying to achieve? Are you looking for growth? Are you looking for cash flow? A hybrid of the two? What's your risk tolerance? What's your investment capital like? I mean, do you have a defined type of property type, you know, in terms of single family, duplex, fourplex? All these things come into play and we don't lead with the market. We lead with the investor and, and work them into the proper investment. So it's a beautiful thing to be market agnostic because if you're in Toronto and you can't find a deal in your backyard, you know, within a two mile well, not two mile, two hour radius or three or four hour radius from where you live, you're kind of forced to look further on into markets that, again, make sense fundamentally, economically, numerically from a rate of return perspective. So I use the Coca-Cola analogy. I like using this analogy a lot. I live in Southern California, you live in Toronto, but let's just say you're investing in paper assets. You invest in the stock market and you've done your research and you've decided that Coca-Cola is the best deal going. It's undervalued. It is the best pick. I have to invest in Coca-Cola. Well, Coca-Cola has their head office in Atlanta, Georgia. Do you need to live in Atlanta, Georgia in order to invest in Coca-Cola? Definitely you not. Don't. <laughs> no, you don't. It's ridiculous. It's the same thing with real estate. Instead of dealing with stock and paper assets, you're dealing with houses, a real asset, 
-hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's in Toronto or it's in Indianapolis, Indiana, Memphis, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, it, it, it really comes down to where is your money, your capital going to work the hardest for you? Because we don't work for money. We let our money work for us. So we need to be the proper steward of our own capital and put it where it's going to do the best for us. No, absolutely. I mean, so I've, I've heard a lot of great oper- like great things about Turnkey. I've also heard some horror stories because potentially it's not the right company that they partnered with and the property management was not very good. So like, how do you go through that? What questions should you ask or how to find, you know, how do you find that like ideal company to partner with to do that with so that you don't get screwed over? So ideally and hopefully you and your listeners When you are investing, you're doing your due diligence and you're vetting the seller and you're verifying the numbers and you're vetting your property manager and you're working with a reputable lender and you're working with a reputable attorney or title company and you're working with a reputable home inspector, you vet these people. It's the same thing when you work with anybody else. They're fortunately most, there's not a lot of people in this space. We're really in a niche and I was really one of the very first people to kind of open up and create this turnkey real estate investing space. And I've had many people copy the business model. Not exactly. They have their own nuances, but essentially they basically copied the business. In, in most industries, you're going to have a lot of good players with good reputation, some more so than others. And I do a lot to maintain our reputation because it's knock on wood, it's, it's been stellar. But I won't mention any names, but I could, I could rattle off about four or five companies right now that I would never do business with. They, they sell junk. It's a lot of window dressing. It's in very sketchy neighborhoods. Um, one, one red flag or thing that will tip it off is a lot of these companies sell properties that are 40, 50, sometimes $60,000. And it's not so much about the price, but it is when you're in low priced markets because anything that's a 40, $50,000 property probably is in a D, maybe a C minus type neighborhood. It may be what I call a war zone. You're certainly dealing with a very unique kind of tenant demographic. They're going to be very transient, anecdotally speaking. They're often low income or very low income or sometimes not even employed. They're on you know, government assistance. But the kicker there too is that that $50,000 home probably was $50,000 10 years ago and probably will be $50,000 again 10 years from now. So don't expect appreciation. And there are no rental comps in the area. So trying to finance it is going to be extremely difficult. I know this sounds ludicrous to some of the people listening to your show that live in the Toronto area where you're dealing with six, eight hundred thousand million dollar, two million dollar houses. The reality is, is all real estate is local. I'm telling you, I could take a hundred and fifty thousand dollar home in Dallas, Texas and put it in in the neighborhood where I live in. And all of a sudden it's like uh, worth over a million dollars. Right. So this is the, the discrepancy between markets. But just going off price, you know, you, you want to be aware of what you're investing in, use the right team, have the right help. And to your point, do your due diligence and work with a reputable company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's a lot of people will come and say, Oh, I can buy this house. in like, I don't know, wherever in the U S it's like 40 grand, but it's a war zone. And like, I don't think many of us are used to actually seeing what a war zone look like, looks like, like, of course there's like a higher end and like blue collar and poor and like not so nice areas, but I don't think we have the same types of ghettos <laughs> as you guys could out there. So yes, there's definitely some better pockets than others in Canada. Uh, I'll make a comment. I'll make a really quick comment. Yeah. 
I don't care what city you live in or what market you're in. I know that every major metropolitan area, like a tier one, tier two market will all have their own quote unquote war zones, like the sketch areas, the neighbors you don't want to walk in, you know, at night by alone, like by yourself. Right. We all have that. That's what I'm referring to as like a very sketchy area, like a CC minus a D class neighborhood. You just don't want to necessarily live there, invest there, walk alone at night. Those are the types of areas, but your Toronto war zone or C minus D areas might be what 300,000, 400,000. I don't know what it is, but yeah, you know, so it's all relative there. It's there, but it's just all relative. Right. Right. No, but it, the other piece too, is if you don't have any tenants to fill the properties, even if it's a 10,000 or $50,000 property, what is it good for? Right. So I'm assuming you look at vacancy rates and, and that kind of stuff as you're, as you're looking into what you're buying. Yes. Yeah. No, that, that all comes into play. And this, this goes back to what I said multiple times. Now, if you, if you invest in a good market and you're in a good neighborhood, what typically what we'll call like a BB plus a minus, cause that's the best bang for the buck. It's the best balance between appreciation potential and cash flow. If you merge those two things together, then often what happens is you're in areas that have low crime, good to above average school systems. And so you have a large, a, a, a large quality tenant pool to draw from. And so these people come in, they, they respect the property. They know they want, they don't want to be kicked out. They want to, they don't want a black mark on their record. They pay rent on time because look, they, their kids are in school. They, they're, they're rooted in the community. There's community. And so they're not transient. Uh, the higher the grade of the neighborhood, the better quality tenants, anecdotally speaking, but I'll, almost any property management company will tell you this, the better quality tenant you have. But the problem is, is you reach a peak in the bell curve and then it starts to drop off as you start to go into higher quality neighborhoods because what happens is the property price or property values get to a point where they scale up faster than the rents keep up. And so now you start to lose that you know rate of return. The cap rate starts to drop and your cash on cash starts to drop. So that's the give and the take. You, you know, you got to pick your areas. And I, I like, personally, I like the B plus A minus type neighborhoods. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. So the next part of our podcast is our lightning round. I mean, we can talk forever, but uh, <laughs> being conscious of, of time and everything like that, it, it's, it's always really interesting for me to get somebody that came from Canada, originally Canadian, went to the U.S. because you have, in a way, both perspectives of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of the differences, but also the similarities. And that's, that's also very cool. You know, one of the things that when I first started, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, but a lot of them were American. So I was like, oh my God, this like 1031 exchange. That is awesome. I don't have to like pay taxes. I can just like roll it, this like house into another house. And there's like a lot of things that when it comes to taxes and comes, it comes to financing is very different. So, so it's, it's good to have you cause you can see um, both sides of that. And, uh, and you can say, well, you know, if you're Canadian investing in the U S like you may want to consider a different structure than maybe a typical American. And I know you're not a lawyer or any of that stuff, but I just want to throw out that out there because, you know, oftentimes I, I hear people say, well, you know, LLCs are the best way to go. And it's not always the case for us. Um, right. So just something to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's great to have you on. So the next part of our podcast is our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and you are going to give me the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Is it going to hurt? Possibly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Number one, your favorite real estate investing book ever. What is it? Well, it, my knee jerk reaction would be rich dad, poor dad. There's a however, 
the entire Rich Dad series is excellent. I happen to know Robert Kiyosaki. I'll be with him on a cruise next week. But yeah, all the Rich Dad books are fantastic. So start there if you're if you're if you're beginner to intermediate. If you're more advanced, there's certainly other books that I could recommend. Amazing. And I think you said you've got something with Grant Cardone too coming up. Yeah, I'm doing a video shoot with him on uh, Thursday. So I'll be flying to Florida here in a few days, uh, two days. So yeah, I just happen to know a lot of people in the industry because I've been doing this for so long. Right. So. Awesome. Good. Number two. So I know you have a podcast other than yours. <laughs> what is uh, what is your favorite podcast? Oh gosh. Does it have to be real estate related? It could be anything. It could be anything. Um, if you can stand the the sprinkling of the politics, the rich dad, Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad show, because he does blend in a lot of forecasting, monetary policy, economics. A lot of this stuff applies to the Canadian economy. Like if you listen to what's what's going on in the world in general and in the US, which is what he talks about a lot, it kind of spills over. You'll see it in Canada as well. So it's more of kind of a broader scope. So anyway, okay. I don't know if that's the answer you wanted, but that's what I'm going to give you. That's great. Hey, it's, uh, it's, this, is your, this is your section. You tell me whatever it is <laughs> that okay. you want. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? I love to travel. I love to spend time with my daughter. She's 11. Well, we homeschool her, so I like to spend time giving her financial education. We play Monopoly. We play cash flow. And of course, I love looking at real estate. Even if I'm not buying, I like to do deal analysis. Awesome. Good. Uh, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would partner up. I would start investing in real estate right away. I would find deals and syndicate them by raising capital like other people's money and start getting back into real estate because you know what? You don't necessarily need your own money. You don't need money because you can use other people's money. So just, if you can't do a deal by yourself, find the deal and partner up with some people. Absolutely, very well said. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? You do realize that question is an entire podcast episode, right? <laughs> it could be, yes. Okay. So look, a lot of people, the first thing they would tell you is find a market where you can use that as a down payment and have some reserves left over and buy your first or your next rental property. That's, that actually is a good decision to make, but, but here's my big, but before you do that, make sure you've invested in yourself first, make sure you've got a base amount, not an infinite amount, a base amount of knowledge and education, educate yourself through your podcast, through the books, the free information online, like invest in you. Once you've done that, then accumulate as much as you can and start acquiring properties that cash flow from day one. I, I can't stress that enough. Like make sure you're focused on cash flow, not speculative investments where you're chasing appreciation. That's right. I am a huge believer. Like you, you must listen to a lot of these episodes. I'm like cash flow. Like it doesn't have to be a ton of cash flow. It just needs to cash flow <laughs> because it's a lot easier to keep going and get financing and get more properties. As soon as you buy something and it's speculative, I mean, you can definitely get in a lot more trouble if the market takes a downturn. And you know what? If you're cash flowing and you're doing this for the long term and the market drops 20% or 30% or whatever it is, your rents aren't going to drop that same amount right? Rents are stable. And in this market where we are, there's a rent shortage. Like there is just like not enough property for people to rent. So, you know, I look at it as cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, and then mortgage pay down and the appreciation. 
So. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's why so many people got into trouble back in 2006, 2007 is because they were at the time equity rich. They bought properties that they couldn't carry. They had negative cash flows. So when the market turned, their equity evaporated. Now they had to feed the animal. They had to basically cover their mortgage payments. And then this, before they knew it, they were up. a lot of these people were upside down. The property was worth, was worth less than what they financed it, especially when they were financing it for more than 80% of the loan to value ratio. So Cash flow, I call it glue. It's the glue that keeps your deals together and it lets you weather any real estate cycle and any economic cycle. Absolutely. Good. So Marco, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more about you? Well, thanks for asking, Sarah. I appreciate that. So I'll just give out two websites because the two sites are sister websites to each other. Norada Real Estate, N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com is our parent website. It's where we have all the properties and free information and tons of content. The sister website is named after the podcast and it's simply passiverealestateinvesting.com. And on both those websites, we have a, a great primer. See, the thing with real estate, the principles don't change, whether you're in Canada or the US, the principles are all the same. The financing changes a little bit, some things change. But I wrote a 40-some page mini book, if you will, called The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. Free download. Everything we talked about and so much more is, is in that 40-some page document. Amazing. So I, we will add that to the show notes so that they can access that. And that's going to be through your website, correct? It's on both of those websites, yes. Perfect. Perfect. Good. Any final words of advice? Anything else that you would like to let the listeners know about? Yeah, I, I would just say take action. Like it's easy enough to educate yourself and you should be educating yourself. But at the end of the day, we have a lot of educated people who are, are still just working nine to five and really trying to try and achieve a dream or a wish, but it doesn't, hasn't become a goal yet. But once you define what you want to do, educate yourself. Now you just have to take action. Just make it happen. Get that first deal or that next deal and keep building because that doing that builds momentum. And you, all of a sudden you're going to find, you know, after three, five years, you've created something that you just didn't have and you maybe couldn't even believe years earlier because it starts to snowball on itself. So take action. That's right. Take action. And on that note, Marco, thank you so much for being on the show. And it was a pleasure talking to you. If you're ever in Canada, feel free to come by and say hi to the right club. We I will. Monthly meeting. So we'd love to have you there as well. That'd be cool. All right. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate being on the show too. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. 
And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.